following recording is from the Parramatta Christian Church pulpit series. These sermons are freely available at pcc.org.au. the fact that you're here with us. We love that you're here and a part of us and a part sitting here in the service with us. So I'm sure the adults won't mind if there's a little bit of noise, as long as it's a little bit of noise, because we don't expect you to sit absolutely still the whole time. Even the adults can't do that. So at least you guys have got colouring in, but you might find some of the adults coming and getting the colouring in at some point too. So 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going from verses 4 to 10. Peter so far has reminded uh, the people that he's writing to, these Christians, that they've been chosen by God. They're shielded by him. All because they have a living hope in Jesus. And the purpose of that is so that they can be set apart. They can be distinct and they can live a life that stands out for God. And that's the whole point. But in this section, which is the conclusion to his introduction of the book, he's really challenging them to try and encourage them that they're not alone, that they don't have to do this just as individual people, that it's for the whole body, that it's a, that it's a group thing, it's a corporate thing. And as we do our part on our own, when we come together, each part doing, keeping their commitment to living a holy life and being distinct, if each of us are doing it on our own, as we come together, we're doing it together, it makes a big difference if you think about it across the globe. Because every person in every church is living a life set apart to God. And what happens at the end is that it's all pointing towards him. It's not about us. It's always about him. It's, and, and as we look through the rest of this next seven verses, we'll see that everything he's done for us is actually so that he can be exalted, that he can be honored, that the glory can be his. And I hope this morning that we'll be encouraged by that. So I, I thought about a picture. You know the last time I spoke, I talked about food and how much I love food. Well, the picture I decided to go with is the cake. You know, each slice of cake is yummy, but each slice of cake on its own doesn't look as magnificent as the whole cake does before it's cut. And really, if we think about it as a whole, not just as PCC, but all the churches in Parramatta, all the churches in Sydney, all the churches in Australia, all the churches all around the world, the biggest cake ever, is magnificent looking. It's fantastic if all the pieces can fit together and stay together and be united. And so these Christians who, are, who have been suffering and being marginalized and being pushed out by society, he's saying, don't worry, if you can stick together as a cake, together you'll make a statement. You'll be noticed. People won't be able to ignore who you are as a cake. And you'll taste good as well. But we'll get to that later. So I, I just wanted to kind of backtrack a little bit and find out what exactly, you know, what in, in, in real 
terms, what were these Christians facing and what were they feeling just so that we can kind of see if we are wearing the same kind of shoes? Because we know they were being marginalized. But, you know, like, do you really feel marginalized by society? If I were to ask you, do you feel on the outer of society? You can answer back. Do you feel like you're on the outer of society? Not really. Not like these Christians were feeling. Some of us are. I guess if we're really living the way Peter's asking us to live here, maybe those of us that are doing that might feel that. But as a whole, we're not really persecuted for our faith, are we? We're not pushed to the side. And so I think these are some of the things that I wanted to look at, just so that we can get a sense of walking in their shoes. And then maybe the rest of it will make sense to us because we can take it on board personally. So... These Christians used to go to the theater, they used to go to the races, they used to go to gladiatorial combats. What happens at gladiatorial combats? Sorry? They fight to the death, that's right. So it's sacrifice of human life for sport. And so they used to do that, but then they were trying to conform, trying not to conform to the evil desires that they had when they lived in ignorance. So what does that look like in our context? Okay, we might go to boxing matches, but people don't really die in boxing matches. They don't because they die at football games too. So what are the things that really, really matter to us? You might, you know, if you're invited to go to the movies, what kind of movies do you watch? What kind of stuff do you watch on Netflix? Hmm. What kind of stuff do you post on Facebook? that sets you apart, that doesn't go? What kind of stuff do you like and, and, and reshare? What kind of language do you use when you're not in church? What, what do you behave like when you're not here on a Sunday? The, that's when you should be feeling the effects of not fitting in with society. Because we all fit in here, right? Because we're all doing the same things. Or we should fit in here. But it's when we're not here. We're not meant to be fitting in. We're meant to be standing out. We're meant to be oddballs for God. What are some of the other things? They used to participate in family activities, right? They used to worship in their family shrines. They used to do things with their family. But now that they know Jesus, they've been redeemed And they were trying to stay away from the empty way of life that were handed down by their ancestors. What does that look like for us? How do we relate to our families that are not Christian? What kind of stuff do we do with our families now that we used to do, maybe, that we can't maybe do now? See, for these early Christians, once they figured out that Yahweh is the only one that you worship, it's like, well, we can't worship anybody else. But in our context here, it's easy to come to church on Sunday and worship God, but then worship other things during the week. Okay, then who are we when no one else is looking? So, for example, in our businesses, in in our workplaces, in, in our civic societal duties that we do which these people, you know, they probably had to make shady deals. They probably had to follow the family business and do things the way the family wanted to do. And they were, but the Christians 
were now trying to obey the truth so that they could have sincere love. Be transparent, not rip someone off. What does that look like for us? Who are we when no one's looking at us? Have we forgotten that God still sees everything? That he knows? I mean, I don't, I, Hillary and I try to be the most honest people, but there's been a few times when we've walked out of coffee shops deep in conversation and we've forgotten to pay, so we've had to drive back and go like this was one time at Bondi Pizza. We were eating and enjoying our time and whatever, and, and then we walked out and, and there was no one at the paying thing and we were just talking. We were halfway home and then we realised, he was like, did you pay? Like, no, did, I thought you paid. So we had to drive back. And, and you know the thing that made us oddballs in that situation is the fact that we drove back and we offered to pay. Because the girl said, I was really not expecting you to come. And I would have had to pay for that because you were on, I was looking after you, your, your table. So I'm not saying that to make us look good, but I'm saying, do we do that kind of stuff? Because you wouldn't know. If I hadn't shared it with you, you wouldn't have known. Just like I don't know <laughs> or everything that you do. So these are the things that make us stand out in our society. The, the, one of the commentators says that these Christians were considered as social and moral deviants who were endangering the common good because they were rocking the boat. Verbal abuse designed to demean, discredit, and shame the believers, especially in public. Like, you know, in our context, it would be Facebook or the political arena, was employed as a means of social control with the aim of pressuring the minority community to conform to conventional values and standards. I think we feel the pressure of that. Because you know why? When it comes to stuff like gender issues and the sexualization of our society and our kids and abortion and marriage and a whole bunch of things, People are just making the rules. And if you challenge and if you speak up and if you say something, you're weird, you're old-fashioned, you're backward, you're not staying up with being relevant to society. Well, we need to become oddballs because you know why? People will always appreciate the good things we do. They'll applaud it when we do charitable, charitable things because it helps them. It, it, it does enhance the good of the community. But as soon as you say, this is the truth, and the truth is not about what we want, it's about what God wants, and it's about living God's ways, then there's a problem. Because our society and our human nature is about all about us, right? It's all about what we want. So my prayer is that as we read these seven verses and as we go through them, that we will just be encouraged like those early Christians were to live as oddballs for Jesus and not be ashamed, but to stand up and to bring out the beauty of the cake as a whole and stand up with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay, so 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. 
As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. So this first section I want to call God's choice of materials. You know why? Because throughout this section you'll come to see that this is about a building project. This is about God building his household. Now the the word for home, his house, in, in this particular verse, spiritual house, also meant the same as household. People that live in the house, not just the house, the building itself, but the people that live in it. And, and, and are a part of that household. And so God is building his church. He's building his kingdom. And, and we are invited to be a part of that. We have been chosen to be a part of that. And he's not just building it here in Parramatta. He's building it across the globe. We are part of something bigger. That's the bigger picture. And this spiritual household is not just any ordinary household. It's not ordinary because it's built on a living cornerstone who is Jesus. And Jesus is precious to God. And so Jesus is the foundation that this building project is being built on. Jesus is called the living cornerstone because of his resurrection from the dead. That's what makes him precious and and foundational to this building. And so every every other stone that wants to be a part of this building has to be aligned with the cornerstone. Because, you know, if you're not aligned with the cornerstone, then you can't be a part of the building because you'll mess it up. That's the, that's the importance of it. So our alignment to Christ and our commitment to being distinctive stones, not just any old stone, make us ex- an acceptable choice of building material to God. Because it says here in verse, in verse um, 5, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Only acceptable through Jesus, not on our own. So this this other bit where Peter's saying in verse 6, he's quoting the Old Testament book of Isaiah and the fulfillment of that prophecy in Jesus. And he's saying "We we we won't be ashamed with this building project. We can be completely committed to this building project and be a part of it because God will complete it. Because he's saying whoever puts their trust in him won't be ashamed because God is going to complete the building project. Unlike human building projects, which might not be completed, which might not be able to be finished uh, to the way that it was originally planned and bring shame to the owner and the builders, Peter is saying we can be confident that God will finish the work he started and so we can trust in him. And not only does God choose us to be part of his dwelling place, but he's giving us an ordination or a job to do to be a part of his household. 
and, and that is that we can offer acceptable sacrifices to him. And Peter's very clear to clarify that these sacrifices will only be acceptable through Jesus. They're not going to be acceptable on our own. It's Jesus' atoning work, his life and death and resurrection that's abolished the need for the physical sacrifices that were animal sacrifices in the temple. So it's, it's, he's combining, Peter's combi- combining, combining the image of Jesus fulfilling as being the temple and the priest and, 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 and the sacrifice that's acceptable to God. And so the only way we can be a part of God's household, his temple, and his priesthood is if we're aligned to Jesus. It's through Jesus. It's, it's in him. It's because of him. And this is significant because if we're being rejected by our earthly society, by our earthly households, then we have the security and the assurance that we are part of God's household. We have something to look forward to. We can endure what we're going through here because we're looking forward to something in the future. We can, we can be a part of it. So the second section, verses 7 and 8, talks about God's method of building. Verse 7 says, Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Hmm, interesting. Let's talk about the easy parts first. In this section, Peter is actually showing a contrast between those who accept God's method of building and those who reject it. That's the bottom line. So he's quoting Old Testament prophecies that were prophesied about the Messiah to come and he's linking them with New Testament ideas of what Jesus claimed of himself because Jesus used these same scriptures when he was talking in, in his ministry, in his life and ministry here. And basically it's just saying that those who accept that Jesus is the cornerstone, those who believe in his atoning work, those who know that he is the only way to be a part of God's household and God's building project, don't have a problem submitting to him. They don't have a problem trusting him. They don't have a problem being aligned to him because they know that if they're not, then the future they have is an eternal exile away from God's household. And, and they know that if they stay aligned, you are right? If they stay aligned, that they can be a part of the kingdom that God's establishing. And that's going to be far better than what they have right now. But for those that don't want to accept that Jesus is the cornerstone, or they don't want to accept that his claims of being the only way to approach God, or they don't like the idea that they have to obey his will and live his way, Jesus becomes a bit of a trip hazard. He's a stumbling block. And they fall because they're like, no, but I want to live my way. I want to do things my way. I, I want to build my way because I don't like the way God's building. 
And so it becomes a problem. Jesus and his teachings and, and what he's asking us to do and the way he's asking us to live is a problem. It's, it's an inconvenient problem because it means that we have to, choosing to live his way means that we can't fit in with living our way. And I think Peter uses this contrast to reinforce to his original readers and to us today that it's okay not to be living the way society is living. It's okay to be um, bullied or to be mocked for not living the way society is living because Jesus was rejected by men, but he was chosen by God. <clears throat> Jesus didn't fit in. So we don't have to fit in. We don't have to go with the crowd. And, and what Peter's saying is that God looks favorably on the people that are willing to follow Jesus, that are willing to be aligned to Jesus, that are willing to be stay connected to Jesus. And he is preparing somewhere that's better. He's building something better. And that, that's the hope that we have. Now, but you might say, what is this part here in verse 8? Verse 8b, they stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined to do. It's only sticky if you make it sticky. It's really simple. If you look at this verse in context of the story of the Bible, the bigger picture... It it's really fits in fine because from Genesis to Revelation, the whole story, God's story, is about bringing people to himself. It's about trying to reconcile people to himself, to provide a way of salvation so that people can be set apart for him, so that people can be a part of his household. That's what he's doing the whole way through the Bible. And so he set up this foundational choices in Jesus. He's saying, I've tried everything with Israel, with the Old Testament people, with the prophets and whatever, but there is a way coming where once and for all you can make a choice. All of humanity can make a choice. That is, you can choose Jesus and you can be part of my building project or you can reject Jesus and that will be an inconvenient problem for you. But if you reject Jesus, you will stumble. You will fall. Because the consequences of choosing, the rewards of choosing Jesus is that you can be a part of my building project. But the consequences of rejecting Jesus is that it's disobedience. Let me put it this way. We all... Are either parents? No, no, let me put it this way. Yes, we're either kids or we're parents or we're both, right? So even if you're not married, you have a parent or you used to have a parent. And as a parent, most parents, I would say, or let me talk about myself as a parent. Yeah, let's just not worry about it. As a parent, I say to the kids, if you obey me, this is what will happen. If you don't obey me, this is what will happen. But I'm t 
telling you this up front so that you can choose whether you want to obey me or you want to disobey me. Now, if you obey me, that's good. We're all good. You won't always get what you want, but it we're good. But if you disobey me, there's definitely consequences. You definitely won't get what you want. You might get what you want right now, but it will have long-term consequences. And that's kind of the idea that Jesus, that, that God is saying here, that verse is saying. God has set up the fact that Jesus is the only way for us to be a part of God's household. So if we choose to follow that way, then we are being built up alongside Jesus to be a part of God's household. But if we reject the message of the gospel and if we re- reject Jesus then that has its consequence. And because we're talking in light of eternity, that's eternal consequences. And that's really what that verse is saying. Now, if you would like to talk about this a little bit more, because you're not convinced, that's fine. We can talk about it. But there's, if you look at scriptures here, there's some scriptures. I only picked three, but there's lots John 3.16, God so loved the world that he sent his only son so that all, any, whoever believes can be saved. Romans is talking about the same thing. Whoever repents, whoever calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. Acts, Peter, Peter is preaching there in Acts and he's saying, repent, be baptized. Call on the name of the Lord and be saved. That's just three scriptures. God is not someone that excludes some and includes others. That's what we need to get from this section. He's made a way for anyone, everyone, anyone who chooses to be a part of his household. So we have the choice, really, whether we accept Jesus as the cornerstone or we don't. And we have eternity to look forward to. If we do, we have eternity with Jesus. If we don't, we have separation from Jesus. And that's the bottom line. Like I said, if you want to talk about this some more because you're struggling to understand that, that's okay because it's not an easy thing to understand. But God does not exclude others or include some and not others. That's what I want you to hear from this section. Okay, so the next part that we're looking at is verses 9 to 10. And Peter, he's, he's kind of expanded and this middle section is just to to clarify what he's saying and how we can be a part of God's building project. But he's eager to get back to this section because this is the main idea that we started with. We started with the idea that we're a whole. We're corporate. This is our, our corporate value and our corporate worth in society globally. And so he's eager to get back to this point, which is, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. 
Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So Peter is eager to get his readers back into this place because he's saying, look, the whole point of you being chosen, the whole point of you being a part of God's building project is because God's got a grand building project. There's a purpose. There's a purpose. There's a reason why you want to be part of God's building project. And that is that it's to declare his praises. Like I said, it's all about him. It's not for our benefit. We, we benefit from the byproducts of being part of God's building project. But it is not about us. It is about him. It's about declaring his praises. And so Peter uses, um, he draws from Exodus 19, Isaiah 43, and Hosea 2, all of the Old Testament um, scriptures, to, to make sure that we and these original hearers understand the status and the identity of who we are as part of God's household. You know, we had the same identity that Israel did, God's covenant people that he chose from every other nation. He made them his special possession. So we, if we believe in Jesus and, and we've been called into God's household because of his mercy, then we have the same identity. We're a royal priesthood. We're a chosen generation. We're God's special possession. And that's great for us to know. But the reason that we are that is so that we can declare his praises. So I just want to talk a, a little bit about this in this last few minutes. Because Peter will use the rest of his letter to flesh this out and to unpack this. So I don't want to kind of jump ahead too much. But he's very clear that the reason why we are part of God's household is that we are meant to boast about him. We're meant to talk about him. We're meant to declare his, his fame. And you know what, what that is, is that's worship. That's honour. And I know Lewis spent a bit of time talking about an aspect of how we can worship, but I, I want to talk about the general idea of worship and how important it is for us as God's people to really understand that. It's not just because I'm passionate about worship as well. But this is really amazing. It's really amazing. And it really spoke to my heart, even as I was preparing. Peter will say in the rest of his book that declaring God's praises affects all of our life. Remember what I said when we started? It's not about what we are when we're here. It's about who we are when we're not here who we are when we're not looking at each other like we're looking at each other now. It's who we are when the people that don't know God and aren't a part of his household, when they look at us, what do they see? Do they see us boasting about our Father? Do they see us declaring the, the one that's chosen us and made us his special possession? Worship is about all of life. And, you know, I know that Lewis talked about obedience and holiness. And, again, that's a bit of a, a sticky thing for some of us because it's all about rules and it's all about... But you know what? 
if we're declaring the praises of our God and boasting about God all throughout our life, holiness and obedience is a byproduct. We're already doing that anyway. We don't have to focus on that. We don't have to use that as a, as a burden or as a yoke. If you're worshipping God with all of your life, then you're obeying him. Then you're living for him. And this is the thing that I want to really stick about. Worship is not something that you can delegate to somebody else. Your worship, you cannot delegate to somebody else. I can't delegate my worship to any of you. My worship to God, I have to do with my hands, with my mouth, with my body, with my thoughts, with my heart, with my soul, with my spirit, with my actions, with my words, all of me. Only I can do that. So, like Lewis quoted in Romans 12, 1, that's what being a living sacrifice is all about. And that's what Peter's saying here too. Sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus is our worship and our honour of him. Declaring, declaring God's praise, if you think about that, that verse and that line, declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. It's an action word for us. God's already done what he needs to do. We are doing now for him. He doesn't need to do anything more for us. You know, I hear, I've grown up in the Pentecostal church and I've heard lots of sermons about claiming things and declaring things and believing for things. And look, I'm not against it. We can ask for things that we believe. But one of the things that really grieves me is that for us to be true worshippers, we need to be able to declare God's praises in any season, in every season, in every situation, in every circumstances, whether we feel like it or not, whether God is answering our prayers or not, whether things are going well or not. Because the thing is, we can feel like, yes, we can declare God's praises if things are going our way. But that's not what this is saying. This is saying we are to declare his praises and boast about him because he has already done everything that he needs to do for us. We, because he's made us a part of his household. And that's good enough. Because he's, remember, he's writing to people that are suffering. Things are not going their way. They're doing it tough. And he's saying, declare God's praises. Worship him with all your life. And I think that's our challenge. That's what's going to make us stand out. That's what's going to make us make people around us, society around us go, hold on. 
Nobody loves you. Nobody wants to be your friend. Everybody thinks you're weird. But you're still declaring and boasting about God. Why is it worthwhile for you to do that? What makes it worthwhile for you to do that? Right there is your opportunity to share your hope in Christ. They can choose to accept it or reject it. But you're declaring the one that has brought you from darkness into light. And if each of us did that, and if all of us are doing that every Monday to Saturday, wow. And if all the people in all the churches in Parramatta are doing that, and if all the people in all the churches in Sydney are doing that, and if all the people in all the churches in Australia are doing that, and you multiply that by every country that's around the globe. Can you imagine? That's the bigger picture. That's the whole reason. That's God's grand building project. It's to radiate Jesus so that those who don't know him and those that are yet to believe in him, those that are finding him a stumbling block at the moment, might have the opportunity to see him as the cornerstone, might have the opportunity to be welcomed into God's household because they can see the worth in being involved in God's building project. So the point of declaring God's praises is because it's missional. It's to show that we can have God's abundant life even when we're not feeling like we're having abundant life, even in the midst of suffering. And it's to taste, be salty, and to see, which is to be light, that the Lord is good. That's incredible. Incredible that God would invite us to be a part of that. So, what does that mean for us? Back to the cake illustration. A slice of cake on its own looks amazing, but a whole cake is better. Look at the slice. Now look at the cake. See what I mean? Individual stones are helpful for a building. You can't build a building without individual stones. But individual stones like that don't look as good as when they are together. Because each stone built up together, makes a fabulous building. And every building that's declaring the work of our Father in heaven, wow, that's like a whole suburb, a whole network of buildings, whole cities, whole countries. And the thing about cakes and buildings 
it's not about the stones. It's not about the ingredients. It's about the baker and the builder. See what I did, Ben? <laughs> the baker and the builder. There's a Parramatta, there's a cafe in Parramatta called, is it Builder and Baker? Whatever. Baker and Builder Cafe. It is. It is about the person that puts the ingredients together. It is about the architect. It's about the builder. It's not about the individual stones or building materials or ingredients. So let's close our eyes and let's think about a few things. The bigger picture that God has for us as his household is that the church has a global status and a global ministry that stretches beyond the individual person. We can have a greater impact as a household of believers rather than just individual children. You know, the, the God uses, the Peter uses these words like royal priest, holy priesthood, a royal nation. If you think of Jesus as the King of Kings, he's building a dynasty or a dynasty. He's building his kingdom. And we're called to be a part of his royal household. But what is our part? So as individuals, I just want you to think for a moment, as individuals, if you consider, if you accept Jesus as the cornerstone, and if you consider yourself connected with him, are you in alignment with him? Because you can be connected with Jesus, but not really be in alignment with him. So that is my individual challenge to us as individuals. Are we in alignment with Jesus, the cornerstone? Are our lives reflecting our submission to him? Are we obedient children to our father's household committed to living by our father's household code and if you're not feeling aligned with Jesus the cornerstone why not that's that's our challenge why not And if we consider ourselves to be a part of God's household, are we boasting about our Father? Are we boasting about the fact that He has called us from darkness into light? If not, why not? Are we ashamed? 
Are we ashamed of being labeled oddballs and not being a part of the here and now? Have we lost sight of the bigger picture? That is our challenge. To radiate Jesus, to declare his praises in all of life, all of life. And if you're here today and you've been listening to me talk, and you might have questions about why is Jesus the only way? Why does it have to be that way? Why do I have to accept Jesus? Can't I just be a part of God's household? If he's loving and if he's caring, why can't I just be a part of him? Because every household has naughty children that don't obey the rules. Well, perhaps you'd like to come and talk to myself or, or Hillary at the end of the service or any one of our elders or leaders in this church. Maybe we can talk more about that. Or you might be here and you've been exploring more about Christianity and how to be a part of God's household. Well, let's talk more about that. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You know, we, we've got lunch sorted. So we, we have a little bit of time. And I just want, I want to s- just challenge those of you that you felt that the Holy Spirit was talking to you this morning at any point in the service, not just during the preaching, but if, if you felt that God was speaking to you already by His Spirit and challenging you, then it doesn't matter who you are. I'd love for you to stay just for a few minutes to come and stay and and be prayed for. Our elders and their wives will be here just around the front. Just come to the front or to the middle, I should say, not the front. Come to the middle. Don't be afraid. We are a family. We are we're brothers and sisters. But if anything that's been said today has challenged you, I'd love for you to just come and stay and talk to someone and be prayed for. And then we can go out and have lunch. Father, I praise you for your presence in this place. Thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you that you have called us to be a part of your household and that you find us acceptable and special and set apart because of Jesus. I pray that we would be able to bring ourselves in alignment to Jesus, the cornerstone. Lord, I pray that we would have the courage to declare your praises in all of our life. 
me, Lord, I pray even right now as you're speaking to people that are challenged, Lord, that you would give them the courage to come and to find strength. And encouragement, Lord, through prayer. Lord, so that when we go out to the rest of our week, that we have be, we'll know that we've been empowered by your spirit. And Lord, that we're all doing this together for your glory and for your honor. Thank you, Lord. We're just going to sing that last song that we sang. Luke's going to lead us. But as he's doing that, I just, you know, if you have to go because you've got other plans, that's okay. Feel free to go. But if you, don't, if you were planning to stay for lunch anyway, I'd love for you just to take some time either to come out here to the middle and get prayer or to sit in your seat or to stand and just to spend time with your Heavenly Father, just declaring His praises even right now.